Advertising is, in very simplistic terms, it's it's stating facts. It's saying something like, uh, on in happy hour, this burger is only $6 during these hours. And here's a list of our specials. Here's a list of, we have the game on with game sound on for these days. And that, that's stating facts. That's advertising. So when most of the stuff you see that's a promotion on Facebook or Instagram is advertising. It's not marketing. They're called the marketing person, but it's not really marketing. Marketing is how you position something to cause a reaction. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. Super excited this week. My guest is Mr. Eric Schellenberger. Now, he's been on this podcast several times before for a reason. Eric is a true restaurant and bar marketing guru. Now, industry veteran with lots of experience and multiple author, but marketing is one of those foundational elements of your business that either make or break your success. So you're going to want to stay tuned and listen as Eric and I discuss the lifetime value of a customer and what that means and why you really should be marketing to your existing customers and turn them into raving fans because they're the ones that are going to spread the word to new customers and bring new customers customers in the door. We're going to talk about trackable marketing. You know, lots of restaurant operators spend lots of money on this idea or that idea, just hoping it's going to work, but they never really know unless everybody walks in the door and says, Hey Joe, I heard you're out on the radio and it brought me in, or I saw that social media post, which never happens. You'll never know if your spend is bringing in a return on investment. We're also going to talk about those BS marketing ideas that sound really good on paper or over the phone, but you just shouldn't do it because it just doesn't work. So stay tuned. Big marketing episode. Don't miss it. You're tuned in to the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. Powerful ideas to rock your restaurant. Here's your host, Roger Bodwin. Rockstars, let me tell you about Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a modern labor management platform designed for restaurateurs by restaurateurs. Effective labor management is more important than ever to maximize profit and success, especially now as restaurants begin to reopen and expand their teams. Trusted by over half a million restaurant professionals, Seven Shifts gives you the tools you need to simplify scheduling, easily manage time and attendance, communicate with your team, and retain your talent. Best of all, Seven Shifts integrates with the POS and payroll systems you already use and trust, turning your team into a competitive advantage to your business. Right now, Restaurant Rockstar's listeners can get three months absolutely free. Get started now at sevenshifts.com forward slash restaurant rockstars. That's the number seven, S-H-I-F-T-S dot com forward slash restaurant rockstars to get three months of industry leading labor management for free. Now on with the episode. Welcome back everyone. This is the Restaurant Rockstars podcast and our goal here is to get you re-inspired and to dig deep, be resourceful, be creative. And if you've made it this far, I want you to keep on going. So with me today, Mr. Eric Schellenberger, he is a three-peat guest and he's got a very interesting restaurant and bar backstory. He's a, what I would call a hospitality guru, but now he's also a multiple book author. We've covered Eric before. He's like I said, he's a three-peat guest. So welcome back to the show, Eric. How are you today? Thanks for having me back. I appreciate it. Well, I'm excited today. You know, we're going to talk about your book, Restaurant and Bar Marketing 3. And then there's a subtitle. It's like marketing, you know, ruin marketers ruin everything. So I want to, you know, I want to figure out what all that means. But before we do, you know, I, I always love to find out how did you discover hospitality, the restaurant and bar business? Like what's your backstory and how far back does it go? Yeah. So um, when I was 13, I was working in the food and beverage uh, department that my mom happened to own at the ski resorts in, in, uh, in Park City, Utah. So I would, uh, it was one of those riding a chairlift while it's still dark out, freezing to death up to a, a, a lodge to wash dishes and bus tables. And that got to kind of evolve into when I got old enough to, I guess, legally work, I would, uh, I would do the, the same monotonous, you know, entry-level jobs at restaurants on Main Street in Park City, which was obviously very touristy. And uh, it got to be, from there to, you know, to work in my way up. And then I'd move on to Arizona and so forth and got into uh, management bartending. And I was the marketing director of several big nightclubs, bars, music venues since about 15 years ago or so. 
I would call you an impresario. I love that word. You know, these people that really just get into the business and they've got such passion, but they also have experience and they just apply that. And they're like real show, you know, they're showmen and women, and they really understand the ins and outs of the business. And they really just, you know, they're promoters and they're just super marketers. And that's your forte. You are a marketing guy, you know? So we're going to talk a lot about marketing today. So thanks for the backstory. Why the title? Marketers ruin everything. You know, that's that's <laughs> it's that's, uh, that's thought provoking. That got my attention right off the bat. Yeah, it was it was kind of meant to be. I mean, the tone of my books is 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 honesty and authenticity, and I write exactly like I talk. And I'm I I don't have I don't really hold back my opinions. And I think that uh, being in the marketing business, I've been pitched as many you know tools or, or online services that the next guy has probably more. And most of these that I see are total BS. And some of them are just so, uh, it, they, they look good on paper and the pitch sounds amazing. But when you see the actual results and what is this, this you know, new service, a new platform, a new app or new whatever, what does it actually do as a result? Not a process, but what do you, what's the ROI? What do you get out of it? Does it work? And I've tried some of these myself that seemed amazing. And uh, when you get down to the end of it, does it bring people in the door does it get your word out to new people or not? Most of the time, it's not. And I've, I've seen very few of them that are worth the money. And it's just a sea of this BS out there right now that everybody's got to wade through. And I know the restaurant bar owners don't have the time mm-hmm. to research all this stuff they're getting bombarded with. Yeah, so for sure. It's, it's a, and the, the marketers ruin everything part is the same thing as like once it's, it's basically when everything starts to be a good idea and then it gets overdone and it turns into spam. And then just like the spammers are where marketers tend to lean toward the end. It's just the way overdone and no, no real thought put into it type of system. Well, you know, that's a, that's a very interesting point because very few restaurant owners or general managers are marketing experts. You know, they're really good at big picture stuff and, you know, putting out the food and all that sort of thing. And the marketing is something that is so essential and they'll, they'll make choices that don't necessarily make sense, you know, and, on top of that, like you mentioned, you know, the spammers that are out there. I remember when, you know, owning restaurants for decades, it's like the phone rings off the hook all day. People are trying to sell you things you think you don't need. But some of these people are pretty slick and they plant a seed in your head and you think about it for a minute and you're on the spot, you're on the phone. And some people just pull the trigger and say, okay, we'll try that. You know, whether it's a radio campaign or a TV thing or a direct mail thing or whatever it is. And it's like, People in this business tend to throw a lot of money at marketing because they think it's going to bring business in the door and most of that money is wasted. I've seen it happen a hundred times before. So I, I know, you know you've got similar stories as well. Absolutely, yeah. And cutting to the chase is really important. But like you said, they don't have time necessarily to research this stuff. It sounds good to them. The guy's got a really interesting pitch and sometimes you just... They catch you at a moment of vulnerability, and then you're just like, okay, you know, uh, I'll get out my checkbook and I'll, and I'll write you a check. Let's go back to your first two books because you've done restaurant, you know, and bar marketing one, restaurant and bar marketing two, and now here's number three, you know, marketers ruin everything. Now, is this a standalone book, your latest, or is it sort of building on the foundation of what people learn in one and two? Can you take us through one and then two and now three and, and the progression and, and the information that, you know, people can glean from these things that'll help them run a stronger marketing yeah. campaign. Great question. And yeah, it, it's, it's uh, an addition to the information in one and two. So it, it's not a standalone. So one is basically the uh, it's, it's the how to it's the, the, like the how of marketing. So I basically run people through the, the, the basics of here's what you should probably do. Here's what you should not do. A lot of the books are, are here's what you should not do. Well, it's most of it. But uh, I run through scenarios with social media and ROI that has to do with that. And like, here's how to log into this. Here's where to go to do this. Here's how much you want to spend on a website. Here's all this stuff structured, laid out. Number two and three are more stories of, of successful bars and restaurants and specific examples. Here's what this place did. And it was an amazing idea. And it was probably free or almost free. And I say in my books a million times, creativity is free. And very few people leverage creativity. Right. And so that's that's what these these other two have gotten into is that uh, that really great examples of other other um, either bars or restaurants. I even have an example of Black Rifle Coffee, which is a, a you know a coffee brand that they're 
very, very focused on their specific clientele, which is a, a, a really narrow part of the, of the community, but they just nail it on that specific nice. type of person. That's excellent. Excellent. You know, I love that because, okay, the first book is really sort of a how-to, this is proven methodology. It's like a roadmap or a template. Okay, if you do this, you should be able to see these kinds of results. But then, you know, case studies, they did this and this is what works. It really triggers your thought process and you try to apply that knowledge to, will this work in my operation? I think it will because of the similarities. It's like, I love that sort of thing. So yeah, proven success stories are definitely the way to go. That's really cool. So the book outlines, your new book outlines the why, not the how. I mean, I think you make that that really, really clear because right, again, yeah. it's it's based on proven experiences, but companies not necessarily in the food space or all in the food space and, and bar space. Kind of, kind of both. Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I talk about um, how Patron came up, how um, uh, Fireball came up. Actually, Fireball was in the last book. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah. Black Rifle Coffee. And um, I talk about Uber. Uh, the uniqueness of Uber and how that happened can be applied to what we do as well. So there aren't just food and beverage examples in there. Okay. Now, are we talking about Uber car driving experiences? Cars, yeah. The- gotcha. Gotcha. Right. So again, we're talking about companies that have come in and literally upset and disrupted, you know, existing like the taxi industry, right? I mean, I yep. love disruption. I think restaurateurs need to approach their business from an element of disruption. How do we have, you know, how do we leverage our competitive advantages? How do we market that information? How do we differentiate ourselves from the competition? Because let's face it, restaurants, one of the most competitive business on earth and bars as well. And now that, you know, the pandemic has decimated so many restaurants and there's so few left. Well, obviously there's a lot of restaurants left, but over 110,000 are now gone. And business is booming. And I know there's resurgences in certain states, but it's like customers are coming back in droves. And now is is more important than ever to really figure out, you know, what are your key differentiators? How am I going to set this place apart? And how am I going to, you know, just think outside, you know, the ordinary way of marketing? And I know that's what you're all about, you know. Let me ask you something. Um, are you a proponent of guerrilla marketing techniques, internal marketing inside a restaurant or a bar? Does that play into uh, your advice at all anywhere? Yeah. Uh, well, guerrilla marketing techniques, if you're, ta- if you're referring to like street teams and that type of stuff, mm-hmm. I love all that stuff. It's very effective. It's very time consuming and not a lot of people like doing it. But if, for a grand opening thing, absolutely. Yeah. I love that stuff. Um, as far as internal to a restaurant techniques, I'm a big fan of of uh, display type of of marketing, like uh, like Nplug and Upshow and some of these these pro, these platforms that allow you to display either your social feeds or your your happy hour special or whatever on the TVs. Yeah. So yeah. they all right. And uh, uh, Atmosphere does that with uh, Chive TV. They'll replace the commercials with commercials for your place with your own stuff on there, your own content, which I think is genius. And uh, if you're the type of place that has TV's rolling all the time. Obviously, it doesn't work in all forums, but that definitely does. And I think that's going to phase out table tents and some of those traditional forms of in-house paper marketing that that kind of just not only in the day of COVID are are you don't want to touch that type of stuff, but they get gross, they get sticky, and and yeah, it, it turns into a mess. Let's go back to Patron. You just made an example of Patron and everyone's obviously heard of Patron and they came in at an elevated level in the tequila space, you know, and you've, you've got such extensive bar history, you know, management of bars, working in bars and that kind of thing. And, and very few, I can think of a few other products that have come in and literally captured, you know, a lot of business, Grey Goose being one. Um, you know, there was a time when absolute was like the huge vodka and vodka and and tequila are hugely competitive categories. What do you think it is about those products and Tito's right? Tito's vodka, Mm -hmm. like hugely successful in the most competitive categories. There's, there's some nuggets of information there that I want you to share that a restaurant owner or manager can put in their mindset to think about, okay. I'm in a competitive segment. I run or I manage a restaurant and there's lots of restaurants around here. What can I learn from companies like that that came into hugely competitive segments and then dominated those segments? Like, Give us yeah. an example of that. That Patron one is, is exactly that. Is yep. When they came in, they just positioned themselves as a pre- a, a, an ultra premium brand. Mm-hmm. So ultra premium tequila back in the day didn't exist. Yeah. Tequila was considered just rot gut headache stuff by everybody. 
And it's like, you don't drink tequila unless you're, you know, you're in for a really terrible uh, morning. But uh, they came in and they said, no, we're a, we're a very high end tequila uh, brand. And they, and they kept that, they kind of invented that, that segment, I guess. And so they, they, they had a high price. Everybody slowly started buying into it. And then it became this thing that they said they were, they kind of was, were faking it till they made it, but they did make it. And then it got to be where now it's, it's the most popular call brand out there. And so it's, it's, it got in once, once you get into, uh, you know, rap lyrics and country music lyrics, forget it, you, you won. And that's, that's what happened is they started getting so big that they would get mentioned in songs. Now it's a pop culture phenomenon. Really Patron is no better than your average tequila in the same kind of realm. It's the same stuff, more or less. And it's not like it's got these exotic ingredients or it's this crazy distillation process. It's just a pretty average tequila, in, in, in my opinion. But their marketing just put them way over everybody else. And they just kill that entire industry. Yeah, it's, it's like Patron is synonymous with tequila. Right. You're absolutely right. I remember when it first came out and the bottle was kind of distinctive, the square bottle. It had this big round ball cork of a top stopper, whatever you want to call it in the top of the bottle. And I think that smaller bottle or, or the medium sized bottle, it was like a hundred dollars for a bottle of Patron, you know, when yeah, it first it was- came out. And suddenly that elevated the image of that product. And like you said, I mean, it all comes from the agave plant, you know, blue agave is, you know, supposedly the best kind of tequila, you know, um, byproduct or whatever, but suddenly it's like they elevated themselves in the category. What part do you think, um, spending versus sort of buzz kicked in because, you know, buzz has a huge part of marketing any business or any product. You know, when you can get viral things going online, if you can get huge reviews going, if you can get everybody to talk about your restaurant, your bar, it's like, you don't need to spend a lot of money. You just got to creatively figure out a way of getting in people's heads and convincing them that there's something really special going on here. You know, yep. you know what, what I mean? Is, is you, you, you have to be cool. Yeah, when your product yeah. is cool, yeah, the rest of it doesn't matter, and that's one of the things that hap- that Patron did beautifully was they have. Remember on their on their label, like on the neck of the bottle, it's got a handmade numbered uh, like tag, and it's, it's got that 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 maybe it's part of the label on there, but it's a it's a numbered sort mm-hmm. of tag. I don't sure. remember the specifics, to be honest with you, but that is what everybody thought when they saw that. They're like, oh, this is special. Yeah, this it's is cool. Something out of the ordinary. It made it look high end, even though, you know, it wasn't. So then all of a sudden it was cool. And when, when everybody wants to be and order that cool stuff. And then when people start drinking tequila, the uneducated tequila drinker that hasn't really heard of anything else. They don't know. They know Cuervo and they know that. So if they want to not sound like they're drinking rot gut, that's their go-to. Mm-hmm. So that cool factor is a hundred percent of what made uh, a Patron what it is. Now, in your experience, um, I know in my own experience running, you know, my restaurants and bars and sort of thing, it's like the salespeople are pretty instrumental. They're constantly introducing new products and they're constantly bringing them in saying, oh, you need this. Oh, you need that. But then your customers also request certain products and that makes you you know, think about it. If you, if you start hearing from multiple good customers, hey, bring this in, bring that. And we always did that, you know, but it's like there's this fine line between a salesman with every latest new product and a lot of them you don't need. You just need the the cool ones, the buzz ones, the ones that are really going to, you know, make your place really profitable obviously, but also sort of give you an image or a cachet that hey, they've got the latest products, they got the coolest bar, you know, that sort of thing. I mean, and there's got to be a gatekeeper sometimes because as the owner or the manager, you can't be answering every knock on the door with people who have no appointments to walk in the door and just trying to sell you stuff. But I was always an opportunist. It's like I wanted to listen a little bit, but then I would instantly tune it out if I I made that decision. No, this isn't for us, you know, and thank right. you very much kind of thing. You know, that happens right. to restaurant and bar owners every single day. And like you said, they just don't have the time to deal with this. And who's going to go back later and say, oh, you know what? Um, I didn't have time to talk to that guy, but I'm going to go look up his product and see if I want it. No, you're on to the next 10 things. So it's a real fine line. Let's talk about mistakes that you see operators and managers making with their marketing and why are they failing at it? So the, the biggest mistake, and I know I talk about this every time I'm on your show, and yeah. it's it's still true, is that people are, are uh, managers are still paying somebody to 
quote, do their social media for them. I've always sold against social media. I'm not a huge fan. It can be hugely beneficial if done right. I don't hate social media as a platform. I hate the fact that 99% of people don't do it right. And the 1% that do it right, do it amazingly well. And they have a huge ROI. It does take creativity. It does take a lot of forethought. It does take a lot of planning. And the majority of managers, they, they know they have to do it. They know they have to be on Facebook and Instagram, mm-hmm. but they don't really want to come up with a plan. Yeah. So they say, well, you know, the, the server who needs more hours, now you're the marketing person. So go ahead and then take some pictures of the food, I guess. I don't know. Just put it up. Yeah. So it's, it's like they, they know their content's terrible going into it. They know the content has no thought behind it. They know there's no campaign. There's no structure. There's no nothing. They just say, throw some crap out there. And that's what they do. And most of the time, uh, owners or managers are paying this person to do mm-hmm, this. Mm-hmm. That's money that's almost guaranteed you're throwing away. And yeah. it's, it's one of the, it's, sometimes it's their only marketing budget is the social media person. And that's, that's, to this day, that's the biggest waste of money I've ever seen. Yeah. Okay. Good point. Excellent. That's great. What have you seen that's the most cost effective without overspending? Like what's really powerful in a wide variety of cases that doesn't cost a lot of money? Well, the, the, the thing now, again, sounds like I'm self-promoting myself here. Um, the, and I do, I do search engine optimization, get my clients found on Google. Mm-hmm. And I do reputation management, which is basically review responses. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not in that business because that's the business I was already in. And I just started to adapt it to here. I'm in that business because I've broken down everything of like, what's more important? What's, what's uh, uh, the, the biggest value over time? What's the best ROI? What's the best kind of fit for somebody in especially a tourist economy. And so I, I've, I've always gone back to that is when someone finds you on Google, the, the price is, is, is really cheap compared to what you think it is to get the word out to new people and get a, a new audience in, you know, in front of your, your brand. And I, I still to this day think there's no other more cost-effective way to market yourself because all, all the other traditional marketing tools, they're all basically tapping into, and I don't know if you remember my first book, I had the chapter, The Fishbowl Versus the Ocean. Yes, yes. Tell us about that. That was a really, really powerful concept. Restaurant owners and managers, I call this the business of a thousand details. And you've got more important things to worry about than calculating and paying your monthly sales tax on time. Well, that's where Davo comes in. Davo puts sales tax on autopilot for restaurants. Davo uses sales tax data from your point of sale system to set aside the exact amount of sales tax you collect every single day and then files it and pays it when it's due on time for your restaurant every month. Davo takes just five minutes to set up and once it's up and running, you never have to worry about paying sales tax again. Davo costs $49.99 per POS connection per month, and your restaurant can try Davo for the first 30 days free. Davo was created by a successful restaurant chef and owner who knows what's important for your operation. Time is money, and you've got more important things to focus on, like pleasing your guests. You can't put a price on peace of mind. Why not try Davo for the first 30 days at DavoSalesTax.com? Okay, so that was that. The first book was going to be called "The Fishbowl Versus the Ocean," but nobody types that into Amazon. Everybody right. types in restaurant marketing. In Amazon. Correct for SEO, that made sense yeah. for you to title the book. But although the other really catches your imagination, it wasn't going to put you all over the world on the internet because of the SEO thing. Got it? That's right. So I'm yep. using the same techniques to market my business that a restaurant mm-hmm. should to market there. So sure, um, the fishbowl is basically the all of the existing customers you have. It's it's your your list of databases, your email address list you've got your social media followers your you know your the followers you have if you have a, a youtube channel or anything like that that's the people who know you exist the people who have probably been in the door the people who have probably uh, dined with you before they're well aware of you so when you're marketing to these people you're hitting the same people over the head over and over and over and they're like my god i get it all right you're an option i understand and that sometimes that's where you get opt-outs that's where you get people unfollowing you that's where unless your content's amazing which like I said, normally it's not. Yeah. And those people start to get annoyed or they start to drop off or it's just ineffective. But then nothing ever changes. They keep doing the same crap. As opposed to the ocean is Google, Yelp, TripAdvisor, all these platforms to where a hungry person is looking for us. We're not looking for them. So they are looking for us in Google. And the best part is 
we're not offering an incentive for them to come in. When they're on Google, they obviously know they're coming in at full price. We don't have to offer deals. We don't have to do anything to get them in the deal in the door other than be attractive online and, and to uh, position yourself online as the most attractive, best looking food, best type of food that fits the market you're in. And as long as you do that, you don't need any gimmicky crap. You just need to rank higher than everybody else. So you're seen as one of the top options, especially in a tourist environment, an environment where people don't know what to do, don't know where they are. Something like Vegas or something like uh, in Southern California, where I am now, if you're not at the top of the Google results, you're missing what I call the catalyst. The catalyst is the number one step of people finding you. Then they may go on your Instagram and look at your pictures. Then they may go on your Facebook and then they may go on your website, blah, 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 blah. Then they may make a visit. Without the catalyst, you lose the entire thing. And that's a lot of people don't put any time and money toward the catalyst being found on, on Google, which to me is common sense, but it's, it's weird how often that is not even addressed. Let's go back to database marketing, which I still believe is pretty you know, mission critical to build a list and communicate with that list in the correct way, of course, but it's time well spent. Um, let's well, let me hear your thoughts on it. Like, how do you do it? What should you do? What shouldn't you do? And how often should you be communicating with these people? Email, everyone says is dead. And now it's all about SMS messaging. You know, text is like the new thing. And people are, what, 80% more likely to open a text than they are to look at an email. It's like, this keeps shifting constantly every day. And owners and managers like, what do I do? You know, I hear this, yeah. I hear that. It's like, what's your best advice about building a, a list and how to most effectively, you know, promote it? Yep. And and what I, you have. Don't get me wrong. I, I still love databases. I love email lists. I think they're they're great. I love SMS and email. I think they're both effective. If your message and your your uh, whatever that it is you're sending out there has value. Sure. If it's a newsletter that you're just like, hey, remember we're here again. And they nobody cares. So the the tool I like to use for database database building the most is Zenreach, which is a, a Wi-Fi router. It's now called Adentro. They changed their name. Okay. But uh, a Dentro is basically a router that they send you. You plug in your existing router. It's really simple. So when people in your in your den yes. room get on the Wi-Fi, yep, they type in their email address. Mm -hmm. So the best part about that is their emails go out. They call them smart emails. They go out one person at a time, depending on their their visits. So three hours after this guy signs up, he'll get an email thanking him, inviting him back in. Hey, and the next time in, get a free app on us. Whatever it is. Sure. A different one goes out when he's a yep. repeat customer, when he's a loyal customer, when he's a lost customer, when his birthday's coming up, all that stuff. They get those emails. The best part is they don't get stuck in a spam filter because it's not a blast. It doesn't go out to thousands of people. It goes out to one person. I see. So they're very much more likely to get it. And it's the, everybody says, this is the first thing everybody says, well, who gets on the Wi-Fi at a restaurant? Nobody does that. That's what I said when these guys hit me up years and years and years ago. Hmm. And they said, well, the numbers will surprise you. And sure enough, they did. Yes. And they still the, do. The, the opt, yeah. The opt-ins I'm getting, because I I resell Zenreach to some extent now to some of my clients. Mm -hmm. And so I'm able to see, see their dashboards and their numbers. And on the low end, you'll get about 150 opt-ins a month. On the high end, about 400. So let's call it an average of 250-ish. 250 opt-ins per month, consistently month over month. So you're building databases at a huge rate. And these are real people. These aren't people that are that live in Bangladesh. These are people that, that are actually in your building. And then so as long as your smart emails have value, I say be as aggressive as possible. You can always tone it down. But if you start your smart emails by 10% off your tab over 100 bucks every other Tuesday, nobody's going to care. This, it just, it's, that's, that's the biggest problem with, it, with offers and incentives that people send out is they're not aggressive enough. So I've, I've never seen one time where someone did, you come in, I will give you a free entree. I'll buy your entire tab for you. Just stop in any day. No fine print, no exceptions, no nothing. That's never gone to where they're going broke because everybody's in the door. And what happens, 90, I think it was 94% the last time we did an actual, put the numbers together, somebody would buy something else when they came in for the free offer, right? So they come in for the free offer. Oh, yeah, and then they're going to spend more money. Their check 94% of the time. Yep. So it's not like you get these cheapskates that come in, they get the free deal and they, they bail and they don't tip. That's so rare. It, it basically, for our purposes, it doesn't happen. Yeah. 
So now you're talking about qualified customers versus just throwing darts at the wall, trying to get new people in the door that don't know the first thing about you, you know, and there's also that concept of the lifetime value of a customer. And once you've got a customer, you want to turn them into a loyal customer, and then you want to turn them into a raving fan so that they're literally spread. They're evangelists for your business. They're telling everyone that they know, Hey, you got to try this place because of this, 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 and this, that is a very powerful formula. If you can do that. And that's what costs very little money, but has this huge ROI to it. And not every owner thinks of it that way. It's like everyone, there's this sort of misnomer where I got to get new business in all the time, whereas it's so much cheaper to to market to the people that already like you versus trying to convince somebody new, hey, come in the door, because that'll come from the evangelist. They'll get new people to try you out, you know? Well, something I said in this book was, uh, was... you can't say tell other people how funny or cool or attractive you are. That's reserved for other people to say about you. That's true. Exactly. <laughs> oh, that's that's awesome. That's that's excellent advice. So let's talk about BS. Okay, there's a lot of BS out there. You you talked about that earlier. It's like give us some examples of the BS that we should just walk away from because that's ridiculous. I think when it comes to to marketing, there's. I mean, again, this is why the book is called Marketers Ruin Everything. There's a lot of it. I would I would so, go so far as to say probably more than half of it just plain does not work. And there, there's if you do the, the very, very simple math of did it make me more than it cost me? That's it. That's mm-hmm. that's really what we're sure. what we're looking at. Right. Are you right. breaking even? Are you are you profiting on that or did it cost you money? And most of these platforms out there that are like uh, uh, the the apps is the is a glaring one to me. So when you know these people that are app builders, I'll build you an app. Well, an app is really these days it's kind of the same thing as a mobile friendly version of your website. It's the same type of feel. Only I've seen these app developers they're they're wanting tens of thousands of dollars to build an app, and if it's for a one off restaurant of a mom and pop, zero people are going to use it. That's the, the the been the problem with apps from day one is nobody downloads it because nobody cares, and it's easier just to go on your QR menu, order, be done with it. I don't want to hear from you. I don't want to get you know, uh, text alerts or I don't want to get push notifications of anything, leave me alone. And so that, that's been the biggest money waster of all time. Um, I think the other one that I talk about in this book is I kind of have a, a love-hate relationship with, with monthly fee websites. Those pay-per-month places, uh, platforms, they do have their place. If you're so busy, you can't touch that thing. You want anybody, everybody to do it for you and you're paying a premium for it, then cool. It's just not for everybody. And then you got Squarespace and Wix, which I don't have a problem with those at all. I think Squarespace and Wix, even though I'm a WordPress guy, mm-hmm. I think they're great platforms. And I think they're they're cheap and they're user-friendly enough to where WordPress, you kind of need somebody who's a WordPress developer. Honestly, it's not that easy, but it's free. Uh, Wix, Squarespace, they all have small monthly fees, 20 bucks here, 50 bucks there, but they're they're way easier to use, and I do like them. Their search engine uh, visibility is not quite as good as WordPress. It's close. I'm an old school guy, so you know, ran restaurants for decades, that kind of thing. And I think it comes from you know going to business school. They pound it into your head: if you're going to start a business, you need to write a business plan. And part of a business plan always had a marketing plan. So that was in my head for years, and I always had a marketing plan. And yes, we tried this, and yes, we tried that, and it was an experiment. And yes, we proved that this had huge ROI, and this worked really well. And then I had a spreadsheet every single year, and I'd reevaluate, and I spent this much money on it last year, and maybe it worked so well, I'm going to spend this much more on it, and I'm going to cut this up. All right. So do people do things that way anymore in this business? Do they have a marketing plan that literally zeroes in on the most effective things? Or is it a whole new way of approaching the business now? It's it's the polar opposite of that. Tell me. What, what, what usually happens is yeah. they're, they're, if it's a smaller place and they know they need to market, they know yep. they need to start doing this stuff. It's, it's nine times out of 10 is the server who needs more hours. It's all of a sudden the marketing person with zero background. And the and this is this is why everybody's go to is social media because that person who's the server who needs more hours is probably in their early twenties. They probably are very active on social media. They know how to use Facebook. They know how to use Instagram. They do it every single day for their own. They see the effectiveness of uh, influencers. They see these Kylie Jenner's or the whoever. What's her name? Kardashian. Yeah. They see the Kardashians out mm-hmm. there. They see that's right. Celebrities that are getting just tens of millions of views. And they can make or break a break a product by one post. They have an insane amount of power. So they see that and they say, oh, well, we need to do that. 
So obviously a mom and pop restaurant is never going to be where they are. And so they, they start using the, the format and the structure they know and that they like and they have fun with. It's rarely anymore the one that works, but it's the one they go to. And, you know, 15 years ago when the algorithms were wide open and we could potentially have all of our followers see our post, it was great. And that was, that was the wild west of social media. It was so effective. Yeah. But over the years, you know, it's gotten choked down farther and farther. Now we're at about 1% of the volume of our, of our, of our clients seeing us. You touch on a really interesting point because very few restaurants out there will be able to harness the leverage of influencers that are celebrities. However, the influencers do exist in every community. And if they become a raving fan of your restaurant, you know, we had a lot of success with that. You mentioned ski resorts. My restaurants were at ski resorts and I had raving fans that literally skied every day and they told everybody on a chairlift, Hey, go to this, go to this place. And we had special coupons with cash cows and all that kind of stuff that cost me very little money. And here, here's a free appetizer. You got to go check this place out. It's cool. And they got trade in my restaurant for every dollar they drove in and they drove in a ton of business, you know, just passing out coupons on chairlifts and telling people they were influencers, even though they weren't celebrities. Do you see those techniques working today at all in a certain way? That is a chapter of mine toward the end. I mentioned that. And I I don't mind influencers in the right forum and the right fit. But mm-hmm. more times than not, when I was in marketing director meetings and sat down with 10 people, and we all talked about somebody was pitching us an influencer. And they would always, you know, of course, their their big sales pitch is the amount of followers they have. This person's got 500,000 followers. Yes. And and everybody's instantly like, oh, 500,000. We're going to get our, our restaurant in front of 500,000 people. Great. Here's my money. My question was always, are these 500,000 people potential customers? Do they live in the area? Are they our demographic? Are they the same people that would potentially walk in the door? More times than not, it's like, well, they're international. They're national. They're all over the country. They're all over the planet. Okay, well, that's not a potential customer to me. So well, how many are in my, you know, my state, my city, my zip code? And it was always like, well, we don't know. It's you know, roughly, then it would get knocked down on this ridiculously low number. But that's, that's what everybody's got to think of. And it sounds like total common sense to me. It is. It's like, if I'm doing this, I don't care if I'm on some celebrity's page because I want to show my friends. I want to get people in the door of my restaurant. So how many potential customers, if it's a rock star in your area, then, and if, you, if you're in a, a small town that only has one, okay, good example, Phoenix, Arizona, um, there's a girl called AZ Foodie. Her name is Diana, but she goes by AZ Foodie on, uh, on Instagram and she kills. She gets people in the door, no question. She charges a lot of money. When she does a post, people show up and spend money at that restaurant. It, it's, it works so many times. I've seen it happen and she's great at it. People like that are international and I'm, I'm in West Hollywood right now. So we've got kind of a few. And so over here, if you take a same guy that's going to promote something in West Hollywood, of course, they'll bring people into a restaurant in West Hollywood. They, everybody can do that here. That's easy. You take that same guy and try to put him in Scottsdale, Arizona to bring people over there. It's yeah. never going to happen. Hmm. It doesn't translate like that, but no one really thinks on those terms. Let's dive into what's horrible about Apple Maps and why is that wrecking restaurant marketing? Man, Apple Maps is probably the, the, the biggest flaw that Apple has ever come up with, in my opinion. And in my first couple of books, you'll know I'm not a huge fan of Apple products at all. Yeah. But Apple Maps is absolutely the worst because it, if you're on an iPhone, it looks like when you Google something, and it, this is what happens. Here's the process. A client will call me and say, hey, my hours are wrong on Google. And I'll look. No, they're not. They're perfect on Google. Are you sure you're not looking at Apple Maps? It looks so similar that people think they're on Google. Oh, yeah, it is Apple Maps. And so Apple Maps doesn't let a third party like me claim the listing and fix it. So the, the, it has to be under the Apple ID of the owner of the restaurant. So the owner, obviously, like, man, I don't have time. This is why I hire you guys. I, yeah. can't, I don't have time for this. Mm-hmm. But we're not allowed to. So I have to give them a link and say, hey, man, here you go. You have to just walk through this, claim your listing, fix your hours. When they do that, it's, of course, of Apple, in my opinion, it has the most uh, uh, um, unnecessary layers of security I've ever seen in my life. It's just, it's 99% security and 1%, uh, uh, sorry, 99% inconvenience, 1% security. So it makes you go through all this crazy approval process and activation process and blah, blah, blah. Once you have your account, Google does too. Once you have your account, you make a change in Google. 
it's pretty much live either right then or within a couple minutes. When you submit a change to Apple, it could take weeks or months or not happen at all. They could just take your change and be like, eh, we know your hours more than you do, Mr. Restaurant Owner. So we're just going to not make that change. Yikes. Here you are, inconsistent, wrong hours across the board, especially if they have you marked closed for a certain day, which I've seen. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Mark mark restaurants closed on a Saturday night. Oh, my gosh. Everybody on that phone is like, well, we're not going there. They're closed. Yeah. Lost so business, business lost reputation, confusion, all that kind of stuff. No, no restaurant or any business can afford that. It's like you need awesome. the most up-to-date information constantly. And yeah, you need to be open when you say you're going to be open. And oh my gosh, yeah, nothing it's, turns it's, off customers more. Right. And it's, I don't know how Apple's so good at what they do. They, they were the first company I just saw to hit, what was it? Three mm. trillion dollar evaluation. Yeah. Whatever that's it is, right. they just hit some milestone it. and, and wow. they can't get that part right. I'm really glad you talked about that and brought that up. I mean, that's an eye opener unto itself. Let's talk about Yelp reviews. Now you've seen a lot of Yelp reviews. What are the best of the worst Yelp reviews just <laughs> to entertain us? <laughs> So like I said, reputation management is part of what I do for for my clients. And I respond to their reviews. I'm I'm very close with them. So I'm able to discuss them. So it's not me just robotically going through them. It's me discussing with the owner. Here's your positives. Here's your neutrals. Here's your negatives. If there's a negative, I'll get them on the phone. We'll discuss it. So uh, we we obviously try to, to, if if there's a mistake that you made that you actually made, you got to own it. For we sure. Own it. You know, we did screw up. We're sorry. We dropped the ball. We're understaffed, especially during uh, COVID. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's rampant right now. Yep. Everybody's understaffed. There's no mm-hmm. such thing as somebody that's staffed up appropriately yeah. right now. Right. So all you can do is apologize and, and you can kind of say, Hey, during COVID, in supply chain issues, everybody's out of my favorite menu items. So one star. And it's like, man, it's not really our fault if you think about it, but you can't really say that. You have to own it. You have to apologize. Move on. But the, um, some of the worst of the worst are the, the, the people who give them a one-star review for something completely out of their hands, like the, the, the parking lot next door was too full, and that's where they usually park, and the neighbor's parking lot was full, so they gave a one-star review because they couldn't get in the door. Like, well, okay, that's not even our lot, much less, you know. And of course. There's, I, have, I have clients with, with uh, valet parking, and people seem to either love it or hate it, but the people who hate it, they really, really hate it. I mean, they'll give you a one-star review just because valet was an option. Mind you, it's free. Your car's parked right there and you don't have to worry about it. Yes, there are other free lot options to both sides of us and across the street, but people don't think about that. So they'll just lose their mind because it's a valet only option in their mind. But uh, uh, some of the, the most insane just hilarious reviews <laughs> that I've seen are from the drunken, you know, either Sunday fun day crowd or the the Saturday night crowd. And one of them that stands out in my mind was from a, a, a younger girl that was out at a sushi place. Who's a client of mine in, in old town, Scottsdale. It's a very fashionable place. It's very happening on a Sunday and it's Sunday. They almost do better numbers than they do on a Saturday. It's just a, a huge brunch party. So she leaves this review saying, uh, I was in this sushi place and, and it was there's families there and there's kids there. And there was this girl who was flashing her boobs at the, at the DJ to get him to play the music she wanted to. It was so inappropriate. I can't believe she was doing this. And yeah. it's just the, the worst environment of all time. Don't take your kids there. This place is just awful. <laughs> so I brought this up to the GM and, I, yeah, and we were right. talking about it. And we see her profile picture on Yelp. And he's like, that was the flasher. She was the one doing that. So he's like, oh my God, this girl. And then we look at her previous reviews and you can see her her trail of drunkenness from her reviews earlier in that day. Oh my gosh. They'll start at noon. They'll still go to 2 p.m., go to wow. 4 p.m. And they're just like, she's reviewing these places as she goes. So I was able to call her out honestly and say, actually, uh, we, we understand you were considerably inebriated and got cut off at the time. And it was actually you who was flashing the DJ. So uh, yeah, we agree it was inappropriate. We agree that that it shouldn't happen again. So uh, you know, if if you if you'd like to come back in, we need to actually talk about this first. So we know that it's not going to turn into this same disaster that that you caused. And then right. <laughs> You're scaring us a little bit because reputation management is a real minefield. And unless you know an owner or manager has an expert like you that really has the tact, the professionalism, the approach, 
you know, there are those customers out there that are just out there to take advantage of something, to try to get something for free. There are those people out there that you just can't please no matter what you do. And then there's the old adage that says the customer is always right, which is not always the case. And it's like, you got to navigate all this. You got to investigate the situation before you reply to the complainer or the negative person. I mean, we, we, you know, we were challenged by this for a long, long time. As soon as the internet became a thing, you know, and reputation management was hugely important to us. And we answered all of those positive and negative. It was worth our time to do so. But it just seems like now it's more dangerous than ever because there are so many things beyond our control because of the staffing, because of the supply chain issues. And people are paying, you know, in some cases, higher prices for the food just to, you know, because we're paying higher wages and the, you know, inflation, all this crazy stuff. And you throw all that into the big soup pot and suddenly you've got to deal with reputation management. It's like, what's your best advice to operators out there that don't have a professional IQ to do it? Like, what do you do? Like, how do right. you, how, well, you know, how the, do you win? The, there's, there's a lot of people that are even, not even clients of mine, the prospective clients are just people who follow me on, on whatever. Yeah. They'll say, hey, here, a screenshot and a review. How would you handle this one? Mm-hmm. And remember, when we respond to the reviews, we're not really responding to the author of the review. We're responding to the public. Yes, correct. Who's reading that review? Mm-hmm. The guy who's reading that review is a guy who's about to make a decision of where to come in. Right. It's either your place mm-hmm. or it's not. That's the big picture. Not the single person. It's like, what's your reputation on the bigger field playing field where lots of people are going to read this and make a decision about your business in an instant. That's right. Yeah. And so the, I think the the brutal honesty is, is very effective if it's done well, it's it's Uh done tactfully, if it's done respectfully. And so the, the, and it's people have pretty good BS detectors these days. They can tell if this review is, is total nonsense based on if they're, if they're really, really adamant about how bad this is, if it starts out with, if I could give this place zero stars, I would, that sense we see it a million times. That guy is usually a little, uh, either in the exaggerating realm or straight BS realm. Yeah. So that person tell. is, is normally just so, uh, emotional about the whole thing that they're going to write everything negative they can possibly think of. You know, it's, it's had the worst service of all time. Oh, and the food sucked. Oh, and the bathrooms are dirty. Oh, and I couldn't find a place to park. And blah, 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 blah. They go rattled down the list. But really, it, they, they took, some, took offense to something the server said that was an off they, The server didn't mean it like that. They took it a different way. And now all of a sudden, that switch flipped in their mind and they hate you. And so they just go on and on and on. And on. So the, um, the, the, if you have one of those people who's super duper emotional, usually they've, they've been drinking at the time that it happens. We all know that. And so this, you know, the server's sober. This person is not. The server's probably right, but can't exactly say that. So if it's if we actually state the facts and say actually uh, for the ones who say they 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 hated their their food, well, I always respond with, and I would have I very much urge people to say this. If it's well, I didn't like the food. It was too salty. It was too cold. It was too whatever. Well, we wish you would have said something at the time so we could have fixed this. You would have been more than happy to make this right. Right mm-hmm. then, had you said something, yep. we can't solve a problem we don't know exists. And that's the majority of the negative reviews I get that have to do with food or service. If it's service, it's a little weirder because they're not going to say the service sucks, the person providing shitty service. Yes. They're just going to say, but, and it's hard for people to say, can I talk to a manager? You know, so people don't like to get confrontational during their visit. I kind of, I don't know, I would, but I don't blame them. But the food thing, you need to say something right then. And I hope if, if the public hears this enough, it'll get to their brain of, I need to actually speak up and say something if I don't like it. They're, they're not restaurants aren't perfect, but if you do say something and it's an honest mistake, they will make it right for you before you get to this Yelp review. You know, that was one of the keys to our success. We empowered our front of house staff to make the right decisions, to use solid judgment, not inconvenience or embarrass a customer by having to go call a manager to go evaluate the situation before doing something for the customer. You know, the the customer doesn't want to go through that process twice. They don't want to explain to the server something's not quite right. And then, oh, I got to bring the manager over because, you know, I'm just a person on the floor. I think there's a key point there where... A person that's working, that's serving the public, the hospitality piece, they can read a table, they can read a guest, they know when something's not quite right. And that's when empowerment is so important to take care of it right then and there before the customer leaves the restaurant without complaining, pays the bill, and then slams the restaurant, never comes back. I mean, 
you know, no restaurant can afford that. Wouldn't you? you know, here's here's a, a great real quick example of yeah. that, that exact same thing. How I was the customer and yep. I was at uh, Ruth Chris in, in Park City, Utah. So Ruth Chris, as you know, is a very high end place. They have, it is, they have for sure. great service. They have great food. It's, it's a well-oiled operation. They do an awesome job. And so uh, go up there, get a steak that's, I ordered a uh, medium and it was cold. It was actually cold inside. I don't really care that much, but they said, how's your steak? And I said, you know, it's a little cold inside. You know, it's not a big deal. Like, no, no, we'll, we're taking care of this. So they took it. And then uh, I, I get a, a new one. I mean, not however long it takes for, I was immediately front of the line. Here you go. Here's another one. And we're going to give you a second steak just to make sure if this one isn't right, here's a second one. This is a filet. It's yeah. not a cheap piece of meat. Right. I was like, you guys, I really appreciate that, but it's, that's above and beyond. I didn't expect that at all. The manager comes over and she says, I hear there was a problem with steak. Are we all good? And I was like, yeah, you're, you're more than good. You guys are, this is, this is way overboard. I really appreciate this, but it's, it's, it's okay. And uh, then, so then a, a free dessert comes over after that. We're so sorry about the steak. We hope this is going to make up for it. I'm like, man, you, I will for sure come back here again. So me as a customer, I wrote a five-star review about them because it's the, the review was, look, not everybody's perfect. It, you can't get it perfect every single time the right way. And of course, with steak, you open yourself up to interpretation of temperature. Correct. Is this medium? Is this medium rare? Is this, yep. you know, and. And you're never going to win that one. And so I, the, the, the yeah. review was, look, say something, they will make it right for you. They're not perfect, but they fixed yeah. it. And they went more than above and beyond for me. Thanks for bringing that up because that's another key point of pre-shifts, the importance of a pre-shift every single day. And you know, passing that information on to the back of house and letting them really understand how important the service and the online reviews and, all, and the customer's experience really is. Because let's face it, the cooks in a kitchen, the chef, those people are working under the hardest conditions, you know, the 900 degree kitchens and they're sweating and long hours and they're on their feet. And it's like the tickets are on the floor and it's a high pressure situation. And then suddenly a server approaches saying, I need this recook and I need it on the fly. And it's like, yeah. you know, it's the balance. It's that. And, and, you know, some people are really level-headed and they'll say, okay, I'll, you know, you got to set the stage for that in advance. You got to have a policy and procedure in place to handle that, or else you're just going to stress out your people more. You're going to create an environment where the service staff are afraid to approach the kitchen. And now what do you do? It's like, I got a complaining customer. This isn't right. I need it immediately. I can't have this customer waiting any longer, yet the tickets are on the floor and the people are just trying to get through their jobs. It's like, yeah, now the that is, a, you know what I mean? There's another minefield. Yeah. But, 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 you know, covering that in advance and making sure that that chemistry between the front of house, back of house, the clear communication, all that is super important. And then keeping the big picture in mind, we're here to please the guest. We're here to yeah. build our reputation as an outstanding restaurant or bar service is what we're all about. You know, these are the things we stand for and somehow we got to get through the night but these things are going to happen. The unexpected is going to happen. And, and the element of human error will always be there. So you just got to expect, you got to roll with it, you know, keep calm, Absolutely. rock on, and let's take care of the guest. You know, yeah. that was super and, important. And employees have to respect each other. And they know that yeah. they, I've been at most kitchens I've worked at, people respected each other. There was always people who, who took offense. Like I'd, I'd have chefs I worked with that took offense if someone said the steak was wrong because the chef was honestly right. He did cook it correctly how they asked. Yep. But he would lose his mind if they would ever come back and say it wasn't. But that's just that's just uh, personalities, I guess. But that could also be server error or being understaffed right now. You put a steak yeah. in the window under a heat lamp and suddenly it goes up two temperatures because it sat there too long. It's no yeah. longer on the grill, but it's still cooking. And then by the time the guest gets it, they ordered it medium and now it's well done. You know, yeah. I mean, that that happens far too commonly as well. And again, there's the communication, there's the need for an expediter, even though it's like, you know, we're, we're all dealing with labor shortages. It's like, these are all potential guest snafus that's going to cause a negative review. It's going to cause an unhappy guest. It's like, these are struggles that operators are, you know, challenged with every single day. And, yep. you know, and it's to, like, I guess wow. To, to summarize the whole Yelp response thing. Yep. I would please say do. if, you, if you're, if you're uh, if you, you use honesty correctly, if you use honesty with respect at the same time, you're never going to lose that one. If you set the record straight and say, actually, it wasn't like that. And here's how it actually happened. Yeah. Even if the person was out of their mind drunk or 
even in the, in the, the bad temperature steak thing, if you, you know, if, if the customer explained it in a way that made you look horrible, but you can set that record straight and actually know what happened was, and what, what burns me to no end is when somebody gets a comped meal because of a complaint and they still give you one star review. I know that's the person that I can't I know. believe that they would yep. do that. You <laughs> made it right for them and they're still going to get the last yep. word in and say, as if they expect everything to be perfect, you know, right. Nobody knows behind the scenes, nor should they have to know what it takes to get that food in front of you and to make everything perfect in a high volume operation where you might have a couple hundred guests in the room at the same time. And it's like, you're under, you know, you're under so much pressure to put out everything perfectly. And most of it's going to be great. And some of it just isn't. And there's no way around that, but how you deal with that. You know, I often said that, um, a great meal won't save average service, but great service can save an average meal. You know, and, and what that essentially means is we're not perfect. We're putting out all this food. And, you know, if the service is indifferent or people aren't empowered to treat, you know, customers or guests with real hospitality, it's like, I don't care how good the food is. It's like it's all part of the experience. And they'll yeah. give you a second chance if you show them that you really care and that you want to make things right when something goes wrong and you go out of your way to fix a problem. I believe guests are going to give you a second chance and they're more likely not to put up a negative review. It's all in yeah. the communication and, and your approach and how you handle things. It is. It's, it's all about if what I've noticed more than anything is if the reviewer likes you personally, it doesn't really matter. It, Yes, you have to fix it, but if they mm-hmm. like you personally yep. and you fix a situation which versus if they don't personally like you, if you rub them the wrong way, but you still need a right for them, that's the guy who's still going to give you a one-star review after getting comped. But as long, as long as you're personable and they like you, if it's if you're the kind of person they would like to go have a beer with after you know, work, whatever, that's the kind of person that you're, they're always going to be in your side. If you have a personality they don't like, then that's when they when they invent things to write bad reviews about because they I've just seen that. rub them the wrong way. It doesn't have to do with your performance necessarily. It's just your attitude. Let's go back to another chapter in your book. I know you cover this, but what's the difference? Because this can be confusing to a lot of people who aren't marketing experts in the hospitality space. What's the difference between marketing and advertising, Eric? So that's that's one that a lot of people have kind of uh, uh, blurred the lines with over the over the years. And advertising is in very simplistic terms, it's, it's stating facts. It's saying something like, uh, on in happy hour, this burger is only $6 during these hours. And here's a list of our specials. Here's a list of, we have the game on with game sound on for these days. And that, that's stating facts. That's advertising. So when most of the stuff you see that's a promotion on Facebook or Instagram is advertising. It's not marketing. They're called the marketing person, but it's not really marketing. Marketing is how you position something to cause a reaction. So the example I used in my book was there's a restaurant in Scottsdale called Ocean 44. It's a fine dining place. It's very nice. It's new. And they they do an amazing job of pretty much everything. I mean, it's it's as nice as it gets. So they have these unisex restrooms, that, which are like a, you know, a, a, a one-person, huge, really well-done restrooms. And they, they're, you know, nine of them or whatever. Yes. And in nice. front of the, the, the mirror... The, the, the rug on the floor, it's a square rug in front of the floor. It says nice shoes. That's all it says. There's no <laughs> logos. There's yeah. no hashtags. There's no BS in there. Just says nice shoes. So I thought that was genius. That's marketing. So of course I take a picture of it. I put it on my Instagram. I said, this is yes. I love this. And I get talking to a, with a bunch of my wife's girlfriends and they're like, oh, I've done the same thing. Yep. We took pictures of the, our shoes on that rug in the same exact space. And we put it on Instagram, we tagged ocean 44 in it. So now you have other people doing your, your work for you. Yes. That caused a reaction. Right. Now they're your ambassadors. They're doing it for you. You didn't ask them to, but that's all it takes is something clever like that, a marketing technique to get somebody else to do it for you. That's exactly what Barton G does that I've mentioned in several books. That's exactly what this place did. You know, you're talking, you're speaking my language because I am a huge believer in hooks. That is very definitely a hook and a restaurant literally cannot have too many hooks. And a hook is anything that is a way of doing business or something unique or special that differentiates you from the competition that causes a reaction that captures the attention of the public. And they're, you know, they're pulling out the camera phones and then all of a sudden it's all over the place. 
And again, that's something that we used to brainstorm. We we continue to come up with new hooks. My staff was so well-versed in what those hooks were. It's small talk at the table. Did you know that we do this? Check that out. And, you know, spectacles going through the dining room or, you know, specialty drinks and like 60 ounce, you know, fish bowls with glow sticks in them. That's a hook. It's like stuff that sells itself, that captures the attention of people. You know, you can't have too many hooks. So thanks for bringing that up. Let's... Yeah, the, um. Go ahead. So the, the what I was going to mention really quick. Yeah. Um, I talk about this restaurant called Barton G. B A R T O N G. Okay. They have a, a place in L A, Miami, and Vegas, and every single menu item is a hook. They're awesome. the most insane, over the top presentations I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. I put pictures of them in my book, so check it out. But I got to Google that. Yeah, I got to check it out. Presentations are so intense, over the top that, of course. You see these coming out in the table mm-hmm. next to you. Yep. Everybody's taking pictures of their food on, the, on their neighbor's food of this coming out, their drinks. And it's just all this stuff that they have marketing people. But I don't think they even need them because everybody else does it for them. It's a genius way to do it. It is. Now you're talking about what I call wow factor. So originally, you know, when I was running restaurants, it's like I wanted the food, the drink, the presentations to have wow factor so that the the guests didn't even want to like cut into it. It's like they wanted to look at it for a while when, when a, you know, when a server put that plate in front of the guest, they'd look at it and say, wow. And the whole table would look at like, you know, that's the wow factor thing. But then I said, okay, we've dialed the wow factor on our presentations, but everything about your experience in this restaurant should have wow factor. The way you're greeted at the door, we used to tell every single person on the floor in the front of house to thank every single guest that crossed their path. And it was not uncommon for you to be thanked by five different people as you walked to the bathroom. You know, those things were really, really important. It didn't take a lot of effort to do it, but it makes it touches customer guests in a personal way. And, it, and it's something they remember, you know? So again, these are all hooks and, and that's a beautiful point. So I'm glad you brought that up. Let's yeah. talk about the mindset of a successful restaurant owner manager. What's the mindset? What's the approach? What's the thought process? Like you, you talk about that in, in one of your chapters also. So I talk about getting over the excuse of, I don't have the time. Every single person in our business does not have the time. It's, that's true. It's, it's the number one excuse. Yep. It's always going to be number one. How do you have the time? How do you get to where you can say, I got it, I'll take care of it right now? So organization is, is a big factor and it's, it's, it's a relatively boring subject, but the, to organize your life, to organize your online life and to get, uh, you've seen a gazillion restaurant uh, offices. They're always a disaster. There's papers everywhere. There's papers lined up and stacked that have been there for five years. It's just a total mess. Totally. Computer's a mess, their yep. online thing is a mess. It's, it's, there's not one square inch of usable space on the countertop because it's full of clutter and crap. Once you get all that stuff out of your life, get it all away. If it's not relevant, file it, get rid of it, do something with it. More importantly, when you're, when it comes to respond to email and, and, uh, and online stuff, I use an extremely simple version, uh, uh, method. So I use Gmail, Gmail for business. So if I'm my, my unanswered emails are my to-do list. Once you, you click on that email, you do it. If it stays on your, in your list of inbox, you have to follow up on these things. Once you're done following up on it, you archive it, get it out of there. So everything on your screen is your to-do list. You don't have 5,000 unread emails and that, that bold number on the inbox side is in the thousands or the hundreds. Yeah. Get that down to zero. Once that's down to zero, you've read all those. They're all relevant. Get rid of them, archive them. Don't delete them. Archive everything once you're done. It's so simple. Yet the people that I've kind of forced to do it who are under me, they're like, oh my God, that made my life a million times easier. But people rarely take five seconds and organize that inbox to where you're not, you're not so flustered. You don't know who to get back to, who you've already gotten back to, who you need to. And it's just, it's just such chaos on there that it's so easy to fix. Very few people do it. Fantastic. Eric, we've covered a ton of ground today. What would you say your best advice now um, for operators? We started this podcast by saying, okay, we really want to inspire you, dig deep, get creative, get resourceful. If if you're still standing as an operator, what would you say, whether you're running a bar, whether you're running a restaurant, like what's your best advice to people to just crush it in the future? Things are going to get better. Yep. And I think now that we're in a new year, I can I could say this is more relevant than ever that the statement, if nothing changes, then nothing changes. Mm. That yes. is it. I love that. Doing the same crap you've done this whole past year, past decade. If you're still stuck, if you're still 
frustrated, you're still worrying, worrying, wondering why things haven't worked, you probably didn't change anything. Change it up, do something different. Start getting out of that box, start getting out of behind the desk and make your make your day organized and start doing things you haven't done before. And that's when change starts happening. Fantastic. Eric, I'm going to put all this in the show notes, but why don't you tell the audience how they can find your book or contact you or, you know, what, what's your, uh, you know, give us all yeah. that information. Uh, books on Amazon. It's called Restaurant and Bar Marketing 3, Marketers Ruin Everything. Um, you can just type in the word restaurant marketing into the Amazon search bar. And it's, it's my, all three of my books are right there. Uh, and my Instagram, my Facebook is both at Eric Schellenberger spelled with all E's. And uh, YouTube page at all. Um, you can find that from, there's got a whole bunch of how to's and kind of marketing. Tips. Oh, fantastic. You got a YouTube um, page. The, the yep. address to it is a bit long. So it's in the footer of my website. The website is barmarketingbasics.com. I'll put that down. I'll add all that to the show notes, but yeah, the YouTube channel, all those instructionals, everyone's on YouTube. I love it. So that's yeah. great. Excellent. Okay, Eric. Well, that was the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. Thanks so much to our audience for tuning in. Thank you so much, Eric, for being with us yet again. You keep turning things upside down in this business, and I think your advice is really sound. So Appreciate I'm looking forward. I've started the book. I'm looking forward to finishing the book. Awesome. Stay well, everyone. Thanks once again to our audience for tuning in. And thanks for the positive comments you've been sending us. We are so glad that the content and information that we're providing each week is helping you run a stronger, more profitable restaurant business. Thanks to Eric Schellenberger. Eric, I always love getting together with you. We share marketing ideas. We talk shop. And uh, once again, congratulations on your new book. These are the most challenging times for operators right now. No one, you know, everybody knows that. So now's the time that you really need to build your business and think ahead and plan and strategize because business is booming. Customers are coming back to restaurants in droves. And the number one things you need to focus in on are keeping your good staff happy. Of course, finding new staff and then training, recognizing and rewarding them for optimum performance. Understanding your critical restaurant finances and numbers, as well as coming up with marketing programs that don't waste your money, but really deliver powerful return on investment. And there's so much opportunity right now because so many restaurants unfortunately have closed. Lots of new restaurants will be opening. So if you ever thought, hey, someday I'd like to own a restaurant, maybe now's the time. So if you want to do that, if you want to start a restaurant or if you just want to optimize your existing operation, you should check out the Restaurant Rockstars Academy at restaurantrockstars.com. Thanks again to our sponsors this week, Seven Shifts, the all-in-one labor management platform, Davo, which is an amazing sales tax program that just automates the entire process, as well as the Restaurant Rockstars Academy. See you next time. People go to restaurants for lots of reasons. What the customer doesn't know is the thousands of details it takes to run a great restaurant. This is a high-risk, high-fail business. It's a treacherous road, and smart operators need a professional guide. I'm Roger. I've started many highly successful, high-profit restaurants. I'm passionate about helping other owners and managers not just succeed, but knock it out of the park. You don't just want to run a restaurant. You want to dominate your competition and create a lasting legacy. Join the Academy and I'll show you how it's done. Thanks for listening to, to the, the Restaurant, Restaurant Rockstars, Rockstars Podcast. For lots of great resources, head over to restaurantrockstars.com. See you next time.